It's timely. It's insightful. It's motivating. It's empowering. It's time with Fred, your inspirational broadcast with host Fred Gaddy. Thanks for tuning in to the Time with Fred podcast. This is a podcast that challenges paradigms and mindsets that hold us back. This podcast can be heard on iTunes, Google Play, Podbean, Amazon, Pandora, anywhere else you listen to your podcast. So thanks for joining us today. Everlock Ellis once said, all the art of living lies in a fine mingling of letting go and holding on. Joining me today is Jody Clark. Jody is a licensed professional counselor, mental health service provider, national certified counselor with a private practice in Knoxville, Tennessee. Jody, thank you so much for coming on this time with Brett Podcast today. Yes, thank you for having me. Jody, um, the topic today is not one that I, you know, our listeners will find, um, you know, upbeat. Uh, nonetheless, it is, it is an important topic and it's on the topic mm-hmm. of grief. I think the argument can be made that we all at one point in our lives are going to experience griefs. In fact, I'm sure there's some who are probably going through the grieving process right now. There are some who probably are coming out of it, and there are some who may just be getting ready for some type of grieving process. Would you agree? Yes, absolutely. I I agree with you. I don't think that this is this isn't something that we'll be able to experience life and not come across. Um, to to try to figure out how to navigate. And I also think grief, you know, we typically think of um, death and dying, but grief could also um, involve other disruptions in our relationships, Um, just loss of, loss of other things, our our professional and our professional lives, our families, um, divorce, you know, so there's a lot that involves, I just think we can't, we can't expect to be in the world and not, unfortunately, come across trying to navigate some of these things. Why is the grieving process um, such a complicated one? You think? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, as I was thinking about the complication of that, it kind of goes back to um, the idea of us being a, a human in the world. So we have our internal experiences of our perceptions and our thoughts. Um, so I just kind of refer to that as the within. And then we have the between us and others. And grief really touches on both of those at the same time. And so I think that makes it uniquely complicated um, that we're trying to navigate a disruption within um, of loss of another, while also a disruption, uh, excuse me, a disruption between um, with us and another. And then also that disruption within is um, my world is going to feel different than it did before. How am I going to navigate the uncertainty of that? Um, so I, I think that creates, you know, some complication for us. There's a few layers to that. And it involves an emotional bond, the disruption of an emotional bond, which I think is, you know, I think we have to have compassion for that, <laughs> um, that we are wired to bond and connect. And so whenever we are experiencing a disruption like that, that it is reasonable and very nor- normal and healthy to have a range of emotional experiences with that. Mm-hmm. But somehow we've, um, you know, we think we should be feeling a certain way. We have a lot of things influencing our responses to this. So it can make it complicated too, because it kind of challenges us in different ways. Which sounds like there, there, or there could be, um, you're the expert here, there could be some 
healthy aspects, right, of, of that grooming process. But uh, there are so many, I mean, myself included, right? Um, we, we don't like grieving. I, right. um, one of the fears that I have is, is that fear of dying or experiencing loss just because of all the, the, the emotions, right, the strong emotions that yeah. come with it of sadness or of sorrow. Um, uh, how does one look at the grieving process with, um, with a positive mindset or with a positive outlook or something that's healthy, if I can put it that right. way? Sure. Um, I do think that that, is, that that influences how we are going to respond to grief. There are the different stages, so to speak, of grief. Um, obviously, everybody's different, so we can kind of move through the stages and kind of shift back. You know, it's not a linear process by any means. Um, but in that we are trying to find meaning. And that is actually something that's come forward in a lot of grief work over more recently over the last five to 10 years is really the role of meaning making in grief. Um, and I, I do think that that allows us an opportunity to find a healthy way to approach that. It asks, it requires of us really to look within ourselves. What are we about? What is our, what would we like our legacy to be? How how do we want people to feel um, when they've interacted with us, you know, as they're walking away? How do we want them to feel about themselves? <laughs> Not about us, but about themselves. And so I do think, you know, I, I think we need to be looking at that. And that is the healthy version of this, I think, is that we have opportunity now. We know we won't always have opportunity to leave that legacy. And I think it makes me a little bit just thinking about it, actually, because I don't think we cherish or recognize that every day we are given an opportunity for this, but I think that's a healthy outlook on this. Um, it allows us to focus on the present with this recognition that we won't always have that opportunity. Yeah. What a, what a, what a profound way to put it. Um, Judy, you, you wrote an article about the, the five stages of grief, learning mm -hmm. about emotions after loss can heal, can help us heal and, I think you modeled this after uh, the psych uh, psychiatrist Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, and mm -hmm. you write about the various stages of grief. Can you kind of walk us through perhaps the, the stages that, that you wrote about in there? Are sure, sure. Um, so like you said, there are, there are traditionally five stages. Um, the sixth that is kind of more recent is the meaning-making part, but generally speaking, um, it starts with with denial. And I know you know, in our humanness, we're trying to make sense of something that doesn't make sense. So <laughs> I think not just with grief and loss, really with, with a lot of things that happen for us, but denial can help us minimize the pain of that. Um, and it kind of offers cushion or protection around this reality that our world's about to change or the way we're navigating life is going to change soon. Um, and it makes sense when you think about how we're trying to protect ourselves. Um, I think it is a reasonable thing, you know, the, reasonable to think we might start there in the process. Um, unfortunately, I think, you know, it is just us trying to process, what, process what's happening, but there does come a time when that, that actually doesn't offer protection anymore. Um, when we're continued, you know, obviously in the face of something progressing, the loss of a loved one. And, you know, this certainly happens with, sudden death too, but even as the person is still living and we're, we're still doing life with them and trying to share life with them with the awareness that we might not have them much longer, you know? And so I think um, 
the more that we're kind of living in that, the denial is it, we can't make it something different, I guess, is what I'm saying. And so I think there's a tendency to find ourselves becoming angry about that, you know, that loss, that sense of loss of control, it, um, it shows up as the perception of this becomes more clear. You know, we can't, like I said, we can't make it something different. Um, and, and anger actually allows us to express an emotion without being vulnerable. Um, and if we think about the vulnerability and, and loss is tremendous. And so again, it makes sense that we would reach for something um, that we can access in our own resources, what, what we've learned about navigating emotion, about our relationship with others, that we would, we would kind of maybe pull that in first. <laughs> um, again, it helps, us, it helps us express or emote without really accessing our own vulnerability in that. Um, the bargaining piece is, you know, we're trying to avoid pain uh, still at this stage, even if there's this recognition we can't put our hands on something. And I kind of think of bargaining as like one last hurrah, you know, we're, we're really in, in a place of despair trying to scramble or reach for something, again, that we might have a sense of control over something that feels very out of control. Um, and a lot of times this happens when the person is still with us, you know, if, if you could um, help them make it through this. I'll, I'll be better. I'll, um, you know, live my, my life better. Or, you know, it, it, interestingly, our hope is in them, like having them longer, but the bargaining piece is something about us, you know, that, that, you know, it's just interesting. It's us again, being human, trying to make sense of something um, like this, that it's, it's interesting, but it may, you know, I think it's reasonable to think we kind of pull in all of this yeah it helps us minimize fear you know yeah that's our our attempts yeah. yeah um and then the, de the depression part sets in and again these aren't necessarily linear we can move through these you know and, and the timeline for everybody is so different i think we do need to honor that also um but the depression actually kind of um to me represents a stage where we're moving outside of Kind of the headspace into what our body is experiencing there's a heaviness a sadness you know maybe maybe less panic in our mind or feeling a little bit less um, chaotic and scrambling really more kind of sensing the heaviness of what we're experiencing um, so again i mean it's just really more we're feeling the absence of the person now i think you know, other people might describe that differently, but I think it really speaks to moving from the head into the body a little more. Um, and then acceptance to me, you know, some people maybe say I would never accept this. You know, they have such strong uh, feelings about the loss of this person that maybe on the outset they would say I'll never accept this. But acceptance never really is suggesting that we think this is okay or that we would never feel sad about this again, but it's really more just the idea that I can recognize what's happening. Um, I can even honor and recognize in myself that I would feel sad or heavy in my loss without the need to scramble to make that different. Like maybe we would earlier on denial in the denial and the bargaining and the anger. That's still us kind of scrambling for resources <laughs> internally, you know, or maybe externally in our faith, you know, kind of trying to yeah. reach, um, but I think acceptance is allowing us, allowing ourselves to feel what we need to feel and not make it something different. Yeah. It, it does seem like there, 
these are all very healthy components or normal processes, right? Yes. Um, with, with the grieving process, but and I want to touch on anger, for instance. We've we've all seen instances um, where people act on the anger and they, they yes. end up destroying them, right? Or they end up um, expressing anger in very negative forms. For instance, someone gets upset and takes a gun and, and kills a family or commits suicide, or mm -hmm. that anger can drive uh, a person to destruction, right? Absolutely. Where, we, where does one draw the line, right? Um, or, or stop oneself or realizing that, you know, perhaps this could be leading down a, a negative path and, and maybe catch oneself or maybe seek help. Right. Mm -hmm. It's great to feel anger. It's normal. It's a normal process, sure. perhaps angry about life and, you know, which is fine because I've seen people do that. But mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, if we're not careful, that anger could lead us down um, yes. a very dangerous path. In your experience, yes. how do you how do you how do you how do you advise people to kind of watch or, or kind of make sure that they're not they're not going, right. going down the negative Check path? In. Well, yeah. I actually really, I, as interesting as this might sound, I enjoy talking about anger because I do think, you know, obviously, like I had mentioned before, it's a, a way for us to show an emotion without tapping into our vulnerability. But, and I stole this from someone a long time ago in my work um, that they shared that um, they viewed anger as fear's bodyguard. And I always held on to that because I've, you know, even 20 years later, I've never come across a situation where really that wasn't, that didn't apply. It always kind of stuck and fit in the situation. Um, the, the thing about anger though, I think is twofold. So one, I, th I think it can be a message that we've lived in a narrative that says this is the only emotion that's okay to express, right? So I think there's this sense of, you know, in our family culture, or in society, maybe we feel like we can still maintain some sense of um, strength while also calling out in despair. I mean, that's what that kind of says to me, you know, that I, I, I am in despair. I feel overwhelmed. I'm, I'm feeling out of control, really more just in the sense that my situation is leaving me feeling very hopeless, um, that I could put my hands on something or make it different. And that's very difficult. But if you've never learned that it's okay to tap into anything other than anger, or we don't even recognize that we have, that we could access anything softer within ourselves, then of course we're going to stop with the anger and that's it. And so we end up, that's where whatever's happening within affects our between, you know, it, it creates distance with people who are trying to support us. It creates a sense of isolation because there's a narrative that nobody would able to understand what I'm experiencing. Um, and the reality is they're, they haven't really given anyone a chance usually, you know, because there's so much happening for them. They have a really, people who are angry do have a really rich internal world. Um, and unfortunately people, what I have found is in situations like that, people have not experienced someone to help them find language for what's happening within them. And so this is, this is just what they know. This is the limit of their emotional range. Um, it's very rewarding when you can get to know someone on a level and help them be seen and, and really known that they learn that that is okay. And it actually feels great. <laughs> you know, it, it makes it okay to have a range of emotional experience. 
we don't have shame anymore. You know, the, the, the other thing I wanted to say about anger that's interesting because it leads us sometimes to a place of shame. If we're in this isolation, even if somebody recognizes they have a different emotional experience, even if they don't have language, they recognize there's something here other than anger um, that might be a heaviness or a sadness. It, it almost tends that they shame themselves for having an emotion <laughs> other than, you know, so all of that's happening within the person that it's easy to see how we can very easily cross a line or how that would really start impacting our between how we're engaging with people or not, um, how we're maybe lashing out or becoming bitter and, um, and just really not navigating the world in a healthy way. But when you think about what tends to happen within the person, I always go back to it makes sense. I mean, people, if you get to know them, they have good reasons not to justify bad behavior, but we have reasons for, for doing the things we're doing. You know, it, it makes sense to some degree. It's not healthy, maybe all the time, but when you're really helping somebody find language to this and they've never had anybody meet them anywhere else in a soft emotion or tell them to put that away, it's weak, um, nobody wants to hear this, suck it up, or whatever messages they've gotten is that your vulnerability is not welcomed here. Mm -hmm. We only need to experience that once, <laughs> really, you know, and unfortunately, a lot of times it's early on in our lives, um, but we really only need to experience that once where in a moment, something in us says, I'll never let myself experience that again, whatever that just was, wherever I got that message that my vulnerability or myself is not welcomed here, um, it changes us. And so anger becomes the safer place to land. Um, so. and, and I've seen instances where, you know, people act out on, on that anger, um, say things yeah. like, well, you know, no one ever listens to me, you know, no one hears mm -hmm. me. And so yes. it's, it becomes an act of, of rebellion, right? Um, yeah. is, there, is there a level of uh, self-awareness or emotional intelligence that one needs to be able to, to manage anger, right? Or for instance, knowing when to catch this right before before right. it gets out of hand yes how does one realize that so we don't become too absorbed in, in emotions and then you know ending up doing something rather destructive right i, I do feel like what if, as i was hearing you kind of describe that i think of how closely we, we live to our emotion in those types of moments you know, there, there really is no separation between us and our emotional experience. So we're just reactive and, you know, more or less making decisions out of that place. But I can't even say that it's with our most rational mind. Um, but the emotion is making the decision for, for us, if you will. Um, I think part of it is learning to become an observer to ourselves. You know, learning how to create a little bit of emotional distance. Not that we would deny feeling that way or feeling anger or sadness or whatever it is, but, but allowing ourselves just to become an observer, to slow ourselves down. Um, and this is something that I think a lot of people benefit from, you know, just to, to create some emotional distance where we can be an observer. We can allow ourselves to slow down, make decisions out of that space rather than the emotion making the decisions for us. And really, I think of kind of a sense of giving up our will, you know, I mean, we don't even realize that's kind of what's happening in a moment like that is we, we lose the opportunity to decide. Um, yeah. 
It's so I, any way that we can create emotional distance. Yeah. You, you, you touched on um, vulnerability, which, which, which I think um, sometimes is seen as an oxymoron, right? Because you're, you're on one hand, it's, 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 it's okay to be vulnerable, right? On the other hand, we live in a society that louds, um, you know, that, strength right yes. if, if i if i let my guard down or if i let other people into my space yeah. you know i may be perceived as weak or whatever and so we have this right. false facade right of, of of um wanting to show or prove to the world that every, everything is okay whereas inwardly everything may not be okay right how do we straddle that complexity where we get to the point where we feel comfortable in letting our guard down and say okay it's okay um I'm, I'm, I'm grieving, I'm mourning, I'm sad, I'm a male, and it's okay for me to cry mm -hmm. yes. without yes. feeling ashamed that someone may, may perceive me negatively as, a, you know, someone who doesn't have that, that much of an emotional strength, if that makes yes. sense at all. Oh, it definitely makes sense. I, the, the thing that, I, that comes to my mind is almost in a way we, we dehumanize ourselves to think that it's not okay to show a range of emotion. So, but I, I, I think oftentimes we've learned that somewhere, you know, not, not to say somebody explicitly has told us this, but just in being in the world, we've, we've gathered a mes message like this. And you're right. I think there are times, you know, as you were speaking to that, I thought there are so many times that we're rewarded in a way for not accessing vulnerability. And then we see what works in the world and I have to show up this way. So it means I don't access anything. I'll say softer, and I even am a little bit reluctant to even use that word, but I just mean anything other than a hard emotion like anger, frustration, irritability, and agitation, um, that if we were to access that, it means something about us. You know, that we have, we've woven something into our narrative, either because somebody explicitly has taught us this or implied it, that, this means that we, we are weak or we don't have a sense of integrity, um, emotional integrity or resilience. And that's, that's really, of course, not true. But I think what happens for the person who's never heard that before? What, what happens for the person who's never been introduced to the idea that you can still be very, you are very resilient and you can persevere and you can be strong while also allowing yourself to experience a range of emotion I think that concept is just really new yeah. <laughs> sometimes to, to people. Yeah. Um, so it, part of it's challenging old narrative. And then also I think of something relational, you know, back to the grief and loss as a relational wound. This is how, actually how I ended up working mostly with relationship because most whatever anybody was bringing in, when you kind of sift through and get to know the person, more times than not, it's going to involve, involve relational wounds. And so there is, a, there is a phrase kind of in the, one of the models I'm trained in that suggests relational wounds are healed relationally. Um, and I don't think that's so far-fetched, <laughs> you know, that um, we would expect ourselves to heal a relational wound in isolation. Um, so part of it's about taking emotional risk. Yep. You know, we can talk about it all day long. Mm -hmm. <laughs> We're never taking a risk to show someone who we are. Some, a trusted other, not just anyone, a trusted other who we feel relatively safe with, that we could take an emotional risk to let someone be with us in something other than anger. Yeah. Then we're start, starting to get that felt sense that this is okay. Our body needs to experience that, I think. 
yeah. um, to really have have a felt sense that it's okay and challenge the narrative. Yeah. You're listening to Time with Fred, an inspirational broadcast with your host, speaker, and life coach, Fred Getty. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to the Time with Fred podcast, and I'm talking to Jody Clark, and we're discussing the five stages of grief. What would you say, Jody, to anyone listening um, to this podcast or watching who, who may be in any one of the, the five stages that um, we talked about, right? Whether they're in denial or anger or being uh, bargaining or being mm-hmm. depressed or, or, or in exceptions. I mean, you, you rightly said that this is not a a sequential process, right? You yeah. could move from denial to acceptance and then, and then not, right. all over the place. But, right. uh, but I'm sure we all find ourselves in one particular area. Um, what would you say or how would you address, um, uh, you know, someone, you know, stuck, say, mm-hmm. in denial or, or anger or bargaining and just can't seem to move past where they are? Right. So I, I think again, going back to the turning the volume up is, is what, what is our heart saying? You know, maybe that sounds too soft or foreign or something like that, but in these stages, even describing them really is a lot about what's happening in our mind that if we could recognize our, our soul, our spirit, our body is also moving through this experience, just remembering that, that, that we are allowing ourselves to be a human without shaming ourselves for being human that to me is one of the, the the most healthy things we can do is have compassion for ourselves. But again, this does challenge maybe what we've learned. So we have to also recognize that there is emotional risk in that, even just within ourselves, <laughs> that we are taking a chance to have compassion with ourselves. As sad as that sounds, that is the case for many people, that that in itself is an emotional risk. And I haven't even interacted with anyone else on this. Um, it's just within me to challenge old narrative, challenge messages that I was um, handed or things woven into my narrative that places meaning on having emotion other than angers, for example. Um, could I challenge that and mean it? Not an empty, you know, this is normal, I'm okay. You know, sometimes you're just not okay. You know, sometimes you're just not okay. What am I doing with that though? Am I finding language? this? Am I reaching out to others for support in this? Or have I created a prison for myself of isolation that, and for some people, that's what they learned how to do. They learned how to navigate challenging emotion by doing it alone, by not turning to other people to reach out because that actually felt more dangerous. So when I think of taking emotional risk, um, could I out of a place like that have compassion for myself and reach for a trusted other a mentor, a friend, a family member who I could feel relatively safe with to show a part of me that I don't usually show yeah. and trust that I could be, you know, met there. Yeah. And I think you, you touched on that, that key point there, um, you know, someone that I can be safe with, because I think in as much as we want to uh, be heard or, or, or have someone we can reach out to to help us. Um, we've got to be careful to who we reach out yes. to. I always say you've got to be careful who you let into your inner circle because that yes. can, that can either take you one way um, or, or the other. And that's right. where you come in right at, as a professional. Yes. There's always someone watching and listening who you know may, may want to reach out. Um, JodyClarkCounseling.com. Of course, that's for my counseling practice. I am open to, to doing telehealth though, obviously with COVID and all the things we've been through, it's 
it's very common now for people to be doing offering telehealth services. Um, so I do that. Um, or just consult, like you said, maybe it's not somebody actually looking for ongoing uh, counseling necessarily, but even just uh, a brief consult or, or I would say kind of short-term counseling for something that feels more acute. How do I challenge this narrative that I grew up in or how do I, it feels so real to me that my emotional range should stop here. Everything I've known or learned says it's too dangerous to reach for somebody because what if I'm met with shame? What if I'm, that's my worst fear. And then even, in, even when somebody is well-intended, they could just absolutely validate that worst fear in their own response because they have their own stuff coming up. So even just things like that, how to navigate dynamics like that, um, again, how to challenge, you know, narrative of what they've learned about emotion and navigating that. Um, I'm very open. I, I really honor people that are willing to reach out, um, especially for people who have never tried that before. I mean, some people have had counseling experiences or, or educate themselves and, and can find insight in their own practice every day. Um, but recognizing the value and reaching out to another that in itself is a corrective experience. And, and as we wrap up here, Jody, I want to be respectful of time. Um, any remarks, any thoughts, um, any final words you want to share with her, with her listeners? Sure. Uh, I, I have said this already a couple of times, but compassion for ourselves, mm. letting ourselves be a human. Um, that to me is one of the interesting, like just such a challenge for, for us with the messages that we've received that it's not okay to have range. It's not okay to take risk. It's not okay to be fully who I am um, and be and expect to be met with kindness or compassion or or just safety in general, emotional safety. Um, so I, I do feel like if there's one takeaway is to allow yourself to feel these things with with the recognition that when they're in our awareness and we can have language, then we can actually make decision out of that space. I think there's a fear in especially with the denial of anything other than anger, you know, when it's out of our awareness, that's, that's the danger because it's operating out of, I mean, I just feel like we, we lose our voice. We lose our will. I would much rather have people find language and we can kind of own something. We can navigate that um, with more confidence and we are actually using our voice to decide how we're going to navigate those emotional experiences. So if somebody does have a fear of exploring that to recognize the value and it, it actually gives us a, a tremendous sense of freedom to clarify and become more aware of this kind of internal world. Thank you so much, Jody, for coming on the podcast and, and helping us walk through this uh, process. Um, grief. It's, it's, not, it's never easy. Um, no. I'm not sure that it would ever be, but the way we do it, the way we manage it is to uh, asking for help and reaching out to, yes. to, to, to the right people like yourself. Don't walk this walk alone and don't yes. feel like um, you, have to, you have to be that tough person. It's great to be tough, but when you need help, ask mm -hmm. for help and don't allow any of these processes or the stages, you know, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance to get you stuck. Um, that's what this podcast is all about. So Jenny, mm -hmm. thanks again for coming on the podcast and helping us process this a little bit. We appreciate your time uh, yes. and for audience for tuning in. Uh, thank you so much. And until next time, stay well. Thank you.